Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read one verse there. It's kind of the guiding theme, but today we're going to spend a lot of time at the very beginning of the, of the book of the Bible, uh, Genesis. And so you can uh, look up Romans chapter 12, verse 18. We're going to read it here in just a moment. But we're doing a sermon today because the holidays are filled with family. And you saw that family feels and the family kind of waves back and forth. Some of you are getting all the warm, fuzzy feelings. Oh, I can't wait to be with family, put up the tree, do all the stuff, you know, eat the food, family, and you just feel the feels, all the feels. Some of you, you think about all that coming up and you're like, oh, I have to endure one more holiday season with family. And so... We want to say we uh, God chooses to use families. Uh, we're going to see an example of a very broken family out of Genesis. But we also believe that the Bible has something to say with what, is, what do we do when it's difficult to be with family. And so we're going to begin to look at this. But our, our guiding principle, our guiding verse is here in Romans chapter 12. And Paul is writing to uh, some conflict that's happening in a church. I know that seems impossible, conflict happening in a church. But he writes these words, and it's going to guide our talk today. And that is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on who? Okay. Does that mean me? Does that mean you? Okay. (laughs) If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. There's that word again, shalom, with everyone. Live at peace. Live in wholeness with everyone. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. I want to give a disclaimer, because whenever you talk about families, there are so many uh, different forms of family. There are so many different things that have happened in family. Some of you love your family. Some of you tolerate your family. And some of you have experienced deep wounding and outright trauma in your family. And so I want to give a disclaimer today. Today, we are really more talking in the realm of uh, annoyance with family, difficulties with family. What do we do there? I don't want you to hear if you have experienced severe wounding and trauma, if, if family is not a safe place for you right now in this moment, I want you to know safety is is God's concern for you as well. So don't hear in this, oh, I've just got to go back in and just take it or, uh, you know, uh, you know, enter into abusive situations. Not at all. Today we are trying to look at some of the ways that family can be an annoyance and how we do this. Now we are going to look at something that is going to seem very traumatic to the main player of the story. But I want us to hold in and I want you to think about this in terms of just those family annoyances. What do we do when it's difficult to be together, when we don't get along, when we see the world at different odds uh, in, in, in different ways? Uh, so let's lean into this, okay? 
I, I just want you to, I just want to put that out there because I don't want anybody to get lost to think, oh my goodness, I, I could never do that with that person who abused me physically or mentally or, or sexually. And so I, I want us to, to, I wanted to make that little disclaimer right at the beginning. Okay. All right. Everybody on, on board with me? Okay. Good. Well, let's move on because family, we all have them. Yes. I guess that was an attempt at a Christmas tree. Um, family, they have their ups. Yeah, these are bizarre photos, aren't they? Just thought it would be fun. And they have their downs. <laughs> Always wanted to see the next photo after this one. Good thing it's sand. I hope it's soft. Um, family have weird hobbies. Yes, those are mushrooms. People who are listening online, this is going to make no sense to them whatsoever. Uh, some look alike. Let's hear it for the eighties. Woo. All righty. Some, not so much. Let's hear it for the nineties. Woo. And some drive us absolutely insane. Yes. That is someone dressed as Colonel Sanders with their spouse as a bucket of chicken. I don't know what that means. Not going to analyze that, but our families, We all have them. And the truth is, during this season, we're about to spend a lot of time together with them. So what does the Bible have to say about families? And what are we going to look at? Because when we look at the Bible and think, oh, well, the Bible will tell us about the perfect family. The truth of the matter is most of the examples that we look at are not exactly the examples we are looking for. And today, as we begin in Genesis, you will see a very broken family. But what we are going to see is that God chooses to use broken things to bring his healing into the world. And so I want us to look at this and see what we can begin to see. So look back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. We're going to begin looking at the background of the story of Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. And I hope by the end you'll see why. Now we're going to go through several passages of Scripture, uh, several, several chapters. We can't get to all of it. This could probably be a series, but we only have one day. And I want to get towards the end of the story. So if you've never read the story of Joseph, then I would encourage you to begin in Genesis chapter 37 this afternoon and just read through an incredible story of what God is able to do. But let's look at the background of this family. First of all, Joseph has a father whose name is Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons by four different wives. Now, obviously, this is not something the Bible is saying we should all do. Go and do thou likewise. Uh, but it was, it was more culturally relevant and acceptable in those days. And J- this all began with a lie. Jacob went and the person that he wanted to marry was Rachel. And his uncle tricked him and gave him Leah instead. So he had to work another seven years to get Rachel. Now, when it, when it all came about, Leah, who was not as well loved as Rachel, talk about bitter rivalries, um, but she produced six children. And so she was doing really well. 
and Rachel was not. And Rachel got jealous, so she pushed her handmaiden to uh, have children for her. And so now we have another wife and more babies. Oh, and then that Leah began to have a, a period where she wasn't having children. And so she pushed her handmaid. So now we have three, pe- or four people in the mix. And then Rachel had children. And one of those was Joseph. And Joseph was loved most by Jacob. You've probably heard about his coat of many colors that was given. Actually, it's just a very, uh, it just says it's a very fancy coat. I read some scholars this week that said it was probably a coat that had sleeves and that would increase the value, more material and all of that. But if you're already singing Andrew Lloyd Webber and you're thinking of the Technicolor dream coat, that's fine. It was a fancy coat. It made everybody else jealous. So, There was also part of the background of this story is that Joseph was a tattletale. And we're not talking about a three-year-old running, my daddy, you know, they did this to me. He was 17 years old. Okay, so this is a teenager, and he brings a bad report of his other brothers who are older, who are out watching the flocks. And then he had this tendency to have these dreams where it was appearing that at some point he felt like, I'm going to be up here. And he had this dream where they were all out in the, in the field, and they were harvesting, and they were setting up the shocks of wheat. And uh, his was tall and proud, and all of his brother's ones bowed towards him. Can you imagine hearing some little tattletale talk about that? He had one where, I mean, delusions of grandeur. He's, he's out there and he has this one where it's outer space and the sun, moon, and stars, and 11 stars, his brothers, all bow to him. Whew. That would be pretty, uh, pretty annoying to live around, don't you think? I don't know about you. I'm the oldest. I'm sure my brothers, if they were here, would say, yep, we lived through it. <laughs> but it was hard for them. And really, we, we read in that scripture, if you read through that chapter, his brothers began to loathe him. They loathed him. They didn't want to see him coming around. And here's where the story takes a turn. Families go through squabbles and, and, and there may be times where we're difficult being together. But there's a reason that Jesus said, uh, later on, way, way, way later, That you've heard it said, don't murder someone. But I tell you, if anyone hates his brother, he's murdered him already. And right here in this moment, we see in this story that principle played out brilliantly because they loathe him. And when his father sends Joseph out to see what his brothers are are up to and how things are going with him, they see him coming and they determine to do something cruel. At first, they just want to kill him. One of the brothers says, well, maybe that's a little too far. So they decide to take his coat, they throw him down in a dry well. My hunch is there wasn't a ladder down to the bottom. And they sold him into slavery in a foreign land. They found some Midianites who were on their way to Egypt. And they said, let's get rid of him. Then not only that do they do that, but then they lied to their father. They took one of the animals and they they cut it and they put the blood on it and they just said, oh, we found this. He must have been eaten alive. Can you imagine letting your father think that this had happened to their son for years and years and years. What an awful thing to have. (laughs) This is the family through which the promise of God to restore the world is going to come? Aren't you blessed? So why is this in the Bible? 
Well, part of it, I think, is because it, it shows us how sin can really destroy something that's good. Families are good. In fact, the very first thing that God said was not good was for man to be alone. And so he created woman for them to be together and, and out of that to create families. God's intention was good for families to exist. But when sin creeps in, when there is loathing, when there, are, there is animosity, when there is hatred, then those things can get very broken and they can destroy that thing that God intends for good. It is also to remind us how our actions can bring harm to others. So there's part of it where we have to find ourselves in this story. And I know we like to place ourselves in Joseph's shoes because he's the hero. But sometimes we can be the brothers, can't we? And so we have to wrestle with that. And the Scripture begins to read us and look at our values and what part we play in some things that happen. But let's move on. Act 2. Joseph's journey. Joseph is sold into slavery. They put him in bondage. They lead him down to Egypt. And if you want to turn to Genesis 39, right at the beginning, you'll see that he is sold. He is purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar is the head of Pharaoh's guard. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt at the time. And uh, Joseph learns something as he is sold to Potiphar. I want you to see this. It's found in Genesis uh, chapter uh, chapter 30, what did I say? 39, verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. We're going to read it here. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So he was sold into slavery. He, he was purchased by someone to do work around their house. But he learns that who was with him? The Lord. You see that all in caps. That, that means it's, it's actually the word Yahweh. But Yahweh was with him. The God who had called Jacob, his father, Abraham, his grandfather. This God was with him even in the midst of his enslavement. Now, it goes well for him for quite a while. In fact, the Bible will say that the house of Potiphar prospers because God was with Joseph. But things take a turn. Evidently, Joseph was very handsome and well-built. And Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. And she tried to entice him. And he said no. And a while later, there was a time where all the servants were gone, the Bible says. And Joseph and Potiphar's wife were there alone. And she tried to grab his cloak to pull him into the bed with her and he left his cloak and ran away and she decided to say when her husband came home look i have his cloak he tried to come and take advantage of me but when i screamed he ran and i got his cloak someone lied about him he did the right thing and he ended up making his master angry and he was thrown in prison but he learns something. He learns. Look at verse 21. Here it is again. Who was with him? The Lord. 
Yahweh was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And he was put in charge of all the prisoners that were there. I guess they they, uh, did jail a little bit different back then. I don't know. I haven't heard of a prisoner being put in charge of other prisoners. But that's what happened with Joseph. And while he was there, he begins to interpret dreams. Here's those dream things again. And there are two. A baker for for Pharaoh and the cupbearer for Pharaoh. And he interprets their dreams. They're kind of difficult. If you want to read about it, it's pretty interesting. Go ahead and read. He says to one of you, the cupbearer, you'll be returned. What your dream means is you're going to, in a couple of days, you're going to be back doing your job for Pharaoh. For the baker, unfortunately, not so much. It meant he was going to die. But both of them come true. And he tries to tell the cupbearer, when you go to Pharaoh, remember me. I'm, I'm not here. But he isn't remembered. In fact, he's forgotten. The Bible tells us he's forgotten for two more years. Two more years of his life erased. Two more years waiting in jail. Two more years of being in jail for doing the right thing. And because his family put him there. Why is this in the Bible? Well, I think it's to remind us that God is with us even when we feel forgotten. Is that you today? Have you feel, feel like you have been abandoned? You have been forgotten. Even when your circumstances say no, when there's jail, and the, it does not mean that God has abandoned you. Our circumstances don't dictate the presence of God. God gets to determine that. Okay, let's move on. Act number three, I must have been thinking about Star Wars, the rise of Joseph. Yes, I already got my tickets. How about you? I hope it's going to be good. All right. The rise of Joseph, Genesis 41, if you're tracking along. The rise of Joseph, he is summoned. Pharaoh has this crazy dream about these really enormous fat cows. And out of the river Nile comes these really skin and bone emaciated cows. And they eat the fat cows, but somehow remain really skinny. Oh, I wish that could be true for Thanksgiving. (sighs) He has another dream about some grain that grows and it's huge. There's so much grain on it. It's, it's there. And out of the Nile again comes this, this really withered, brown, gross-looking, barely alive grain. And it somehow consumes the other grain and remains gross and, and barely alive. And it troubles him. He doesn't know. He has this dream. And he doesn't. no one can interpret the dream. All of a sudden, two years later, the cupbearer remembers. <gasps> What about that guy who was in, he interpreted my dream. Pharaoh sends for him, he comes. And Joseph interprets the dream and says, for seven years, Egypt is going to overflow. The crops are going to produce in abundance. The the animals are going to thrive. But after those seven years, there will come a seven year famine that will be so severe that it will, it will make us forget all about the great years. He said, King, if, If we're to survive this, we should save up during the bounty and then we'll make it through. And Pharaoh does something amazing. He says, you're absolutely right. And I think there should be one person for the job and it's you. He, he in fact, tells Joseph that I will be Pharaoh. I'm king, but right under me is you. 
And everybody needs to listen to what you say, and I want you to organize it, and I want you to do it. And Joseph does it. And there is a bounty, and there they put stuff away to where Egypt is protected and saved, while the rest of the world is in extreme, extreme famine for seven years. This is why, why is this in the Bible? Why, did, why is this there? Because sometimes the thing that annoys our family the most, this is good news, are you ready? Sometimes the thing that annoys our family the most can be used by God for great good. Joseph had all these dreams and he always interpreted these dreams and it caused his family to loathe him and, and hate him and it was just annoying and, and yet in God's hands at the right moment, at the right time, it brings about great good that we're going to see about here in just a second. Do you have one of those things that your family, you just think your family just really is annoyed by that in you? Are you willing to entertain the thought that maybe God might be able to use something like that? That thing that brings them great annoyance might be something that God could use to great good. Do you have someone in your family that annoys you greatly? Are you willing to entertain the fact that God might use that thing that annoys you so much for great good and great purpose? Did you know that Einstein was quite a daydreamer? In fact, because he daydreamed so much, his teachers kind of thought he was not cut out for school. It annoyed people because they'd be talking and, and doing the lesson and all that, and here would be, here would be Albert. Albert, huh? Go back to teaching. But when the time was right, we began to see that it was in his daydreams that some of the greatest inventions came out of. So that thing that maybe you have endured scorn for might be the very thing that God wants to use. Hold out that possibility. Finally, Act 4, and here's where we wanted to really get into it. The return of the brothers. So the famine was not just in Egypt, it was everywhere. And Jacob and the brothers of Joseph were in famine. And so they were hungry. And Jacob said, I've heard that there's food in Egypt. Take some money and go down and buy some food. So they do, they go down. And as they approach and come in, Joseph is the one who's in charge of the buying and selling of people coming to get food. And right away he recognizes, these are my brothers but beauty of beauty they don't recognize him at all probably had a different haircut egyptians dressed a little differently than hebrews and so they didn't know who he was and joseph tests them we're we're really racing through this if you want to see all the details you're going to have to open your bible take it home with you and read through this you'll see this story he he devises a great test and ultimately he sees that they his brothers have really changed. In fact, it comes down that they are willing to exchange their lives for the life of their youngest brother. Don't do this. Don't do this to our father. And Joseph begins to see that they have somehow, over all those years, developed some way of actually caring about their father, caring about their brother, and are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the, the pain they indicted with what they did to Joseph would not happen again. They carried around that. And it's here that Joseph finally reveals himself. You can turn to Genesis 
chapter 45. I want us to read this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. James, I'll let you advance the slides. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And then he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. The one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Did you know the name Joseph means Yahweh adds to? that interesting? That he actually in the midst of this finds that he has lived up to his name. That God is using him to add to his family, to protect and to save his family. Joseph's response he picked the right time. The Bible tells us when they came in and he recognized them and they didn't recognize him, they all bowed before him. I don't know if it was, if it was me, I probably would have said, Ha, my dream is right! Ha ha! You're doing it! But he picked his, he picked the right time and he waited. Why would he do that? Maybe he, in all his long years of seeing that his circumstances were not what determined whether God was with him or not, he remained open to the possibility that they had changed. He could wait for the right timing of his response because he wanted to see, had they changed? And then when he sees that they have, he reacts with love, not with hatred. Not with vengeance. He finally sees God's bigger plan. And he knows that God can turn evil purpose to a greater good. In fact, a few chapters later, he will tell his brothers once again, what you intended for evil, God was able to turn for good. To save you and to save our family. So, what about us? What about our families that we're just about to spend a lot of time with? Maybe this is saying to us today, can you wait for the right timing? I'll give you a hint. The holidays may not be the best time for that. Can you wait for the right timing? For God's timing? Can, can you just maybe during your interactions with your family members, even those ones that annoy you the most, can you be inquisitive? Can, can you think as you approach Thanksgiving Day, as you approach Christmas, as you approach New Year, can you think about the background? Can you think about the story? Can you put yourself in their shoes and how they might see you? 
Can you think about how the story might be different? Can you think about your part? Can you just be inquisitive? What would it be like? Can you ask the question, have they changed? Here's a good, here's a good way to answer the question. Have you changed? If you have changed, then there's a good possibility that they might have changed. Are you able to entertain that thought this holiday season as you gather with your family? Can you observe how maybe even that thing that annoys you the most, if it was in God's hands, might be used for great good? Or maybe even now is being used for great advantage in a business or in a ministry or in service or as a dad or a mom? Can you see that? Can you dare to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see your family member in a different way? Can you react with love and not anger? When they say hello, can you say hello back? When they say, can you please pass the stovetop stuffing? Yes, I love it. Can you say absolutely with no bitterness in your voice? Can you dare to believe and trust in God's ability? You know, in church, we spend a ton of time, or we have in the past, talking about God's omniscience, His ability to know all things, God's omnipresence, God's ability to be present everywhere. I think this story leads us to think about something else, to think about God's omnicompetence. That God is the God who is competent enough to take broken things to bring His healing. That God is competent enough that even when that thing has been has the intention of evil, God can somehow bring good even out of that. That God could take even your family. That God could take even you and change something in your heart that allows you to open back up to the possibility that He could do something good even in your family. The question that we end with is, are you willing to dare to take the chance and trust God's omnicompetence? Are you willing to place yourself in His hands to give your family, even the most annoying among them, into Him and ask God to show you what the next step is. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this holiday season filled with our family, you know every story. You know every wound and hurt. You know the intentions of every person involved in those. You know the results of the words that have been said. The results of the attitudes that have been thrown back and forth. And you know us. We are frail children of dust. And feeble as frail. And when we go back into the presence of that person, all of those stories and all of those feelings and all of those emotions come running forward. 
And if we're honest, a lot of times it places a barrier over our heart towards them to where we don't even consider that you are competent enough to change our hearts toward them and their hearts towards us. So, Father, today I pray as we as a community of believers would dare to model Your graciousness. Remind us as we enter into Their presence that we were once estranged, that that our relationship with You, God, was marred and blocked by sin until You came among us and died. You allowed Yourself to be broken in order to bring healing. In order to bring reconciliation between us and You, help us to trust that, to trust that grace that we might wait for the right time, that we might observe, that we might dare to trust that even that thing that annoys us might be something that could be used in Your hands for great good. That You are able to bring reconciliation. That You are able to add to us and to our families. So help us to trust You. Help us to ground our feet in Your grace and extend Your love to our families. Father, thank You for this story. May it guide us and teach us through the power of Your Spirit that we might continue to follow the one who is king, that we might follow Jesus. And it's in His great name that we pray all these things. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? Can I just say to you, Happy Thanksgiving. May your plates be full of carbs. And, and a protein that makes you sleepy. May you enjoy your football. Go Lions. That's right. And now, may you go in the presence of the risen King. May you dare to trust His competence with your family, with your transformation. May you Go in His blessing and His grace. And return next week longing for the Christ who comes again, vulnerable as a child, as we move towards the celebration of Christmas. I pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in His name. Go in peace.